Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Consequence of Sound film editor Dominic Suzanne Mayer, host of Filmography, a filmmaker's podcast. On our new season, we're spotlighting the works of one of the true 20th century masters, Stanley Kubrick. From Fear and Desire to Eyes Wide Shut, we're examining the performances, stylistic choices, music, and all the nuances of these cinematic and cultural touchstones. Look out for new episodes of Filmography every week, new directors every quarter, and subscribe via iTunes or wherever you procure fine podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, the Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Unfortunately, Matt is under the weather, but he's here with us in Force Ghost. He's just smiling as we look over past the campfire. He's not saying anything. Yeah, he's not saying anything. He just sort of nods knowingly, smiles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And we just get back to the podcast. (laughs) So this is our first full episode since Solo came out. Between then and now, we had a bunch of Willow Watch specials. More to come about the world of Willow. But uh, a lot has happened since Solo came out. In this show, we cover a lot of Star Wars news and speculation. And whenever we hit a point where we think this is too much, this is too spoilery, we seal it behind the blast doors. In this episode, I actually don't think we're going to be using the blast doors at all. So you can listen to the whole episode for a change if, you, if you'd wow. normally avoid those. I think that's new for us for a long time at it's been, least. It's been a while, yeah. yeah. Uh, and hopefully, if you uh, if you skipped over the Blastor's content before, you, you've gone back to them since most films have come out. Among the things that have happened between Solo coming out and now, Matt and I went to Hungary and Switzerland to go to a friend's wedding and decided to you know make the most of it. Once you're spending money on a plane ticket, you might as well hang out for a while. Mm-hmm. And understandably, you, you, you have us hanging out for any long durations of time. We had some Star Wars-related adventures. For example, Matt found some Rogue One cereal in a Hungarian grocery store. Yeah, what was the name of that one? It was Moons and Stars. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like, "Damn, that's uh, that's kind of dark in a way." Like, it's... <laughs> well, it wasn't. I mean, Matt wanted it to be called Stardust. Stardust, which yeah. is which is what you find in the bottom of the bag. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, they're, they're these cocoa puffed Moons and Stars, and based on standards in Europe for food quality being generally higher than America, they were delicious. It's a, a wonderful chocolatey cereal. Wasn't it just like Cocoa Puffs, basically? Basically, but they tasted way better. Okay. You know, there's a bitterness to it to go with the sweets. They're not just like, you know, your teeth falling out immediately. Hmm. And one side of the box has K2 and Jin. The other side has a Death Trooper and a Stormtrooper. And the, one of the spines, the spine that doesn't have the nutrition information, has Krennic on it. 
There's also, weirdly, a Kylo Ren serial that was also Moons and Stars, perhaps released for Last Jedi. I'm not sure. It's but- called I Hate You, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got some uh, some photos of that posted up on our feeds. So Oh, it should have been shaped like little Millennium Falcons and call it Pieces of Junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's too clever. That's that's the problem yeah, with especially that. Especially if it's Kylo Ren on the cover. It's like, blah, that piece of junk out of the sky. It's like, and perfect. We also went to the Flipper Museum, the largest pinball museum in Europe, and they had probably all the Star Wars pinball machines that have ever existed there. How many Lucasfilm pinball machines do you think you saw? I Oh, I know how many I, I did see. Like, I, you know, now that I think about it, so that we saw the Star Wars pinball that we saw, just, you know, quote-unquote Star Wars, sure. was a 1992 pinball machine, so it encompassed the trilogy. Mm-hmm. If there were ones for individual films, I don't know about them. I don't, I've never seen them, and I haven't looked it up. So I could be wrong. They might not have everything, but they had that. They also had a Indiana Jones pinball machine, which is... That was like, one of my favorite ones. It's incredible. You use a, a pistol to fire the balls. Yeah. I mean, it is legitimately... In this museum of phenomenal and unusual pinball games, the Indiana Jones one is one of the best still. Mm-hmm. It's so well integrated. It combines all the movies in such a dynamic way. It's really rare and special when you find a pinball machine that can make you uh, feel like you're going on an adventure. Yeah. It's like a little plane <laughs> yeah, that the, comes the, in. The, and... the planes are on the, the elevated platforms. And when, when your ball streaks over there, you get the sound of a spitfire you know, flying yeah. through the air. It's incredible. Yeah. And they got not, L- not LED, but like the scrolling screen up there that recreates moments it actually it is it is led oh then then, yeah 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 Yeah. so just it just recreates that you know pixelated art you Mm. know come on junior (laughs) it's like the weirdest shit when you're watching it it's great um and also the amazing episode one pinball machine which i've only Mm. seen a few times i don't Uh, know if i've ever seen it in person i mean it's incredible it it uses this projection of like full 3d animation and film clips and so on that you interact with, you, the ball, interact with. Wow. It's very unusual. I mean, it it's, would still be impressive technology today, and it must be very expensive because in any of the newer pinball machines, don't hold a candle to this thing. When you start it, does it play the audio clip of, now this is pod racing? It should be, but no, <laughs> it doesn't happen. There's oh. instead, there's a really awkward, like, robot voice read of the title crawl, if you let it roll. Like a robot reads it? Like a battle droid, basically. Wow. It sounds strange. Do they at least have the button that launches the pinball look like some of the buttons that Anakin's always toggling, like in his pod racer or in the Starfighter? Uh, you know, I didn't I don't I didn't scrutinize it, I don't know. Man. But it was it was a really, really, really cool museum and uh we've got a lot more talk about that in a recent episode of Nerdy Show, episode three hundred eleven. We'll link to it on this episode's page. All that's really neither here nor there. That was just some fun stuff we did. I wish Matt was here to talk about it. But let's uh let's talk about the big picture here the lucasfilm picture and what's up with star wars as a whole right now i mean there's a lot of anger and confusion star wars discussions online are as polarized as politics and just as nasty if not more meanwhile you know the rest of us are sitting back being like jeez these these are just movies people yeah lighten up i am perturbed that there's still so much arguing online among fans I, i can't think of another movie series or anything where people would like they're divided about something that just came out recently and then even six months onward they're still arguing about it and i think i'm just getting what what do they call outrage fatigue (laughs) (laughs) is is that a thing i I believe it is like i'm i'm just getting tired of people being angry and not to the point where i'm like shutting myself off from society but just man I, i i you know a few years ago we were saying it was a great time to be a star wars fan all this new stuff coming out, and now I feel like half of everybody that I talk to, diehard Star Wars fan or not, is either 
just completely disenfranchised or or let down and it's it's hard to find people who are still super uber excited about star wars these days even the normies it's weird i mean this is a very big case of like you know this is not who we are these i i think it's a ruthless minority of very loud and and awful individuals but i'm not sure and there's a lot of discussion about oh you know oust kathleen kennedy lock her up and you know like it's very awful and i mean maybe she's not running a good ship but that's like that's business speculation it's not religion yeah it is business politics but like folks we're so far removed from what's actually happening in those boardrooms and so on we know so little and so very little real discussion comes out to the point that it's disseminated amongst the common rabble that we all are right no you you don't know anything and none of you have a, 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 a place to stand like in terms of like this conversation we just don't know some people blame bob Iger too we don't know and it's important to be like hey you might love star wars and star wars might be mean a lot to you but i mean i disowned star wars after the prequels they didn't do it for me i was not, i was uninspired i was unimpressed and i didn't care but that doesn't mean you were no longer a fan right you know it's like you don't just because you did or did not like the last movie or two movies or three movies or shit even six movies at this point doesn't mean you're not a fan so ease up you know <laughs> like it's yeah. it's okay like don't don't beat yourself up, but definitely don't beat up other other people. I think there's an idea that when you're a fan of something, you have to be a fan. Oh. You have to stop at nothing to love this property. And if it disappoints you, that's a crime. And we the fans, blah, 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 blah. But like, dudes, this is business. It's just, it's yeah. business. It's capitalism. It's money. It's the intersection of capitalism and art. Let me, let me posit this rhetorical question to yourself and our listeners. Mm. I want you to look deep inside yourself if if you especially if you were disappointed with the last few movies look deep inside yourself and ask yourself am i a fan or am i a consumer like am i a fan of star wars the idea or am i a consumer of star wars the stuff because there's a lot of people i know they just like to consume the stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Every, there's collectors. I'm not disparaging collection, collecting anything. That's yeah, a hobby. Yeah, it's I a mean, hobby. It's a hobby that's also a bit of a religion. Right. But And I understand that. But there is a difference because if you are a consumer, you will start to feel like you are owed certain things. Like if I'm buying a washing machine and I get the washing machine and it doesn't perform the way I'm expecting it to, I return it. I get a different washing machine. If I think if this one company keeps failing, I say, you know what? I'm abandoning it. I don't want it anymore. You, you, I've, I've given you guys several chances. The washing machine's not cutting it. I'm done with you. And if enough people are having the same problem, they all protest. And then a company can change its policy or you, you change the law so that the way things are made are different. You can make things happen from a consumer standpoint. But we're talking about, dare I say, an art <laughs> like, you know, we're talking about movies like it's not really this tangible thing. You know, yeah. you can't return it because you're unhappy with it like a consumer for any other type of consumable thing i mean and we're in a weird place here we're in a we're in a place where franchises that we love that had objectively bad entries have then had follow-up entries that disavow the things that came afterwards we've got a, we got yeah. a new halloween movie coming out that the only film that matters in the continuity is halloween one right which is i mean i'm a halloween fan i think it's incredible by the way listen to halloweenies also on the consequence podcast network it's amazing what, what a weird time yeah. to live in. Where a mainstream movie that's the only reason it's still alive today is because they've had s- countless sequels from the original to now. And now they're saying, you know what? None of it counted. <laughs> like, now we're going back to this. And just because. 
Well, not for very good reason. But like, you know, I like Alien 3. I like Alien 4. You like Alien 4? I like Alien 4. Mm. Hey, it ain't the same as Alien 1, 2, or 3. Yeah. Every single Alien film is different, mm-hmm. and there's something to like about all of them. But Alien 4? <laughs> hey, it's been a, I mean, all, all, I will all, say, it's Sigourney, been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver making that reverse basket shot is pretty sweet. That it's it's like, a different kind of film. It's a very sure. quirky, strange film, yeah. and if it stood on its own... It would be like would a be, cult it, cinema it would, classic. It would have been on the Sci-Fi Channel, and uh, we, we <laughs> would, would have maybe never seen it. <laughs> but, but I'll give it to you. Yeah, it's like it's fine. But no, but now, like, you there know, is the, someone out there who thinks that the fourth Alien is hands down the best one, and that's fine because it's subjective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it's okay, and it's it's also okay when Neil Blumkamp comes in and says, "Hey, I'm gonna make a movie that that only uses one and two. Sure, everything else is shit." Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with you, man. But like, sure, whatever. That's interesting. It's just we're living in a weird time when fans are kind of saying, "Let's redo that last movie." But what if someone like with a lot of, what if say Neil Blomkamp came along and said, "I'm gonna fix Star Wars," and everyone's like, "Yes, yes," and he says, "And I'm starting with Return of the Jedi. The first two count. Nothing else does." He'd be like, "Uh, I don't know about going back that far, man." Like you know, like the, the, I mean, the reaction is so split. I can't imagine. The Disney Corporation has done everything in its power to ensure that nothing that it owns will ever go out of copyright, and that the rest of the world will be adversely impacted by that in terms of intellectual property rights. So we're in a weird place here because ultimately, as society and culture evolves and human media evolves and the human experience evolves, we're going to get to a place where a lot of things are going to basically be, you know, a weird conglomerate of stories. It's all going to be fan fiction in the end. It's fan fiction right now. You're you're a fan fiction author until the right company, you know, stamps their name on it. Anyone who's writing for Marvel Comics, they're living the dream because their fan fiction counts, you know? Yeah. And That's a great way to put it. None of this shit matters. It's all subjective. Yeah. And whatever film you want to make is just as real as anything else. Just one happens to have Mark Hamill in it. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't like The Last Jedi. Would I love to see an alternate reality take on it? Sure. Maybe we'll have the uh, ability to peer through realities one day and see movies from other <laughs> dimensions. But now is not that oh, time. You'd go to The Last Jedi first before any of the prequels? <laughs> just a recent example. Sure, okay. Just a recent example. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see, I'd rather do that. Yeah, I mean, just think about think about the cascading effect of that reality. If sure. the prequels were good, if the prequels were differently handled, George Lucas might have never relinquished Star Wars, and who knows what would have happened. Yeah. But <laughs> I digress exponentially. Basically, you know, things are weird here on State of the Empire. We are fans, but like we're gonna be critical. We observe the Lucasfilm corporate machine and ask a great many questions there's a lot of things we don't understand there's a you know we're all we're all as fans mutually presented with a bunch of confusing business decisions which we only see the outcomes of but not the whys and wherefores and of course in hollywood these days especially no one gives a straight answer about what is actually happening because people people's careers are on the line no one wants to talk bad about somebody and no one's going to tell you what's actually going on and it's none of our business quite frankly anyhow long story short things have gotten very sour which is why there are some fans out there doing something about it. Like Sean Duke of the Skiffy and Fanty podcast, he started a movement and a Twitter feed called Star Wars Fanjoy. It's a community initiative to make Star Wars a more welcoming and inclusive place. It uses the hashtag Star Wars Fanjoy and the hashtag Force Out Hate. So if you or a Star Wars fan organization you love wants to spread some good vibes, you can use that hashtag or follow the Star Wars Fanjoy feed. And hey, if you're in the mood to follow some Twitter feeds, don't forget to follow us at WillowWatch underscore. Now, Solo did not perform to financial expectations. 
here on State of the Empire. We all loved it in spite of, you know, years of being very cynical about the project in general. Mm-hmm. Consequence of Sound, same deal. And there, there's people that I've talked with in reality who went into the movie fairly even tempered about it and left disappointed. And I wonder if the expectation is what alters your perception of it. Like when I went in, I'm just like, oh boy, I'm just, you know, I I was hoping for it to be great, but I was bracing myself for a mess and I really liked it. But when I talked to other people like at work or just in, you know, day-to-day life, about half of them were just like, it was okay. It just didn't really do it for me. And they'll bring up little nitpicky things that you can't really deny, but at the same time, it's like people just hold different values into different things. And if those values aren't filled to a certain meter, then the movie itself suffers. Yeah. And it's strange to hear how people will put such importance on small things, but it's a lot like politics and or religion. You know what I mean? It's like it is It is becoming this weird thing where it can't be all thanks to all people, but everyone thinks it should be. Right. And when you make... million, it's still not good enough. Now, granted, they basically made the movie twice. Yeah. So whatever its publicly listed budget, I mean, like, I have a number in front of me, it's $275 million. It was not that much. It was more expensive than that. Yeah, it had to have been. Everything, What Plus marketing. Um, So, like, yeah, it it didn't make back its money, and it did okay in the U.S., but it really didn't do well in the rest of the world. I don't know why. I I don't know why, but it's a perfectly good film, and the people who made it know it's a perfectly good film. I mean, of that, I'm sure, and and it reviewed well, generally speaking. But this caused a ripple effect because people are so reactionary now. You know, they let headlines dictate their opinions. And headlines are only catchy to make you click on it so you get the advertising money. So it's really like anyone who's advertising on a news page... They're, they're, they're responsible for all the confusion. Yeah, and it's fine to not like a film, but this is the problem I have with, with Hollywood in general and the way people consume information about Hollywood, and that is that when a film doesn't perform financially to expectations, it's considered a failure. I mean... Yeah, I've heard people say that they won't go see it because it's not making a lot of money. Judging things by money, by gross. Yeah. It's an ebb and flow, and Solo is up against huge films. Huge films in its vicinity. It should and, and it should have been pushed to December. And there's all kinds of like rumors and drama about it was like maybe going to be, but then it wasn't. And and there was like there were caveats and deals brokered like Disney versus Lucasfilm. Honestly, I don't have any information pertaining to that that I feel confident about enough in any degree of reality to even bring it up on this show, hmm. other than to say that there are rumors of rumors about why and how that things went down the way they did. Because everybody wants to be the one who breaks the story of what happened. So they're going to latch on to anything that's floating around out there. And remarkably, no one fucking has, and no one's come even close. Yeah. <laughs> However, everyone's got an opinion, and everyone's got a think piece. Even very recently, there's still major publications having think pieces about the failure, the quote-unquote failure of Solo, and what that means. And things started to get even weirder when Tom Kane, who voiced Admiral Ackbar in The Last Jedi and fills in for Yoda sometimes, said at All-Star Comic Con that there were at least nine Star Wars films in development. So that got picked up and shared around. Now, I mean, like, it's a weird count. So you, if you say you got a, a one, Obi-Wan, two, Boba Fett, three, Episode Nine, Ryan Johnson's trilogy. Okay, that's six. And then Game of Thrones the guys. Game of Thrones guys, question mark, but uh, okay, what does that even mean? So it's that very ambiguous statement from a guy who's pretty removed from the process. Ambiguous and offhand. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, ah, they're making like nine movies now. Everyone's, nine movies confirmed. It's like, you know, or it could have been 
six. You know, like it just, I don't know. There's it, no. So basically, it got shared around. Sure. Yeah. And then quickly refuted by Collider, who published a piece on June 20th saying that all Star Wars spinoff films were in limbo. It's from, quote, sources with knowledge of the situation. Say, I don't, I don't ever believe any of that <laughs> shit. Every time, I'll never forget one of the earliest rumors for The Force Awakens. Before we even knew it was called The Force Awakens, some guy went on, uh, like, gosh, what was it? Was it, uh, Latino review. <laughs> oh yeah. Whatever happened to them? I don't know. Maybe it's because their news never was accurate. You know, all of their rumors of an industry insider, all in quotations. Always ask yourself, is the source in quotation marks? Because if it is, it means the opposite. And I'm serious. <laughs> like that's how you should judge it. Like if you see a sign out front of a restaurant and it's and the, the words say free sandwich. But the word free has quotes around it. It ain't free. And if it's got <laughs> quotes around sandwich, it ain't a sandwich. So it's not worth it. I mean, though, that said, in the world of people selling insider leaks in Hollywood, some are true, some are bogus, some are in between. But they always have to be vague because someone's career is on the line. And for some reason, I guess they needed to get their, their rent wasn't really coming up. They needed a little bit more money. Yeah. So they sell it to a source. You know, wow, it's expensive who, to live a, out there. Who is a group of people that are quick to react and share information that isn't a political movement or party? <laughs> <laughs> so we won't feel like we're selling our souls. Mm, mm-hmm. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's good. And then at the same time, a week later, let's run a, uh, a puff piece on Harry Potter. <laughs> so um, these sources with knowledge of the situation, they said Lucasfilm has decided to put plans for more Star Wars spinoff films on hold instead opting to focus their attention on Episode Nine and the next trilogy. Um, so they said that Obi-Wan was in active development. This is Collider still. Mm-hmm. But those who were working on the film are no longer involved that James Mangold was in early talks to write and direct Boba Fett, but that was before Solo's release. Um, So that article, that Collider article, was taken to be the absolute truth and is still being circled around as 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 being cited by by reputable news sources with their think pieces. Who the fuck knows why? Um, Because it's as vague as anything. And, I mean, but in this, this really... This this Collider article especially really had waves. Like Star Wars Newsnet posted an editorial called Disney holding off on Star Wars standalone movies, rethinking development, and why that's actually great for the franchise. And Christopher Mark of Omega Underground News tweeted, apparently Daldry left Kenobi way before Solo's opening weekend. Not entirely sure Solo's box office had anything to do with this exit. But so that's someone I don't, you know, I'm not really familiar with Omega Underground Network or Omega Underground News, whatever. I don't know who that is, but... Yeah. This is someone who believes to have an insider perspective and was surprised that, you know, he had already heard that Daldry had already left Kenobi. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, maybe that means it's true. Maybe it doesn't. But so the very next day after this Collider article that, that messed everything up and, and who knows, like it sold this idea right. that, that there's trouble. Right. ABC News put out an article entitled Multiple Films Still in the Star Wars Pipeline, Sources Say. This is ABC, of course you know, owned by Disney. And it even says at the end of the article, um, ABC News and Lucasfilm are both part of the parent company, Disney. So, you know, full transparency here, but this is clear damage control. I'm going to read the entire thing because it's short as it was written because this is a fascinating look into like what, what exactly is going on. Hold up, Star Wars fans. 
Reports of the death of future standalone films from the galaxy far, far away like Solo, Rogue One, and a rumored but never announced Obi-Wan Kenobi project appear to be premature and speculative at best. Lucasfilm sources on Thursday characterized as inaccurate a report that future Star Wars movies falling outside of the regular trilogy storyline have been put on hold in the wake of the box office underperformance of Solo, a Star Wars story. Instead, Lucasfilm told ABC News there are still multiple Star Wars films currently in development that have not been officially announced. These projects are moving forward separate from an already announced Star Wars trilogy being overseen by The Last Jedi director Ryan Johnson and another series of movies from Game of Thrones producers David Binioff and D.B. Weiss. Lucasfilm is not yet talking publicly about the subject of any unannounced Star Wars films or their expected release dates. Fans will just have to wait and see. Always in motion is the future, as Yoda says. So, one day after this Collider thing, Disney and Lucasfilm are both like, <gasps> we can't let this yeah. get spread around. Here's damage control. And or or it's simply, they're wrong. We got to set the record straight. Right. You know? Yeah. Now... So that happened. But then the very next day after that, Hollywood Reporter confirmed and tempered the ABC retort in an article called Lucasfilm Licking Their Wounds But Not Halting Star Wars Development. They what the said, hell does that mean? It's it's in between. <laughs> <laughs> they said, From a certain point of view. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> Disney and Lucasfilm are reassessing their plans for future Star Wars movies in the wake of the disappointing performance of Solo and the reaction to The Last Jedi. However, a, quote, source with knowledge of Lucasfilm's thinking... Oh, gosh. <laughs> ...said... I know how they think. Let me get a little uh, action there. Like They haven't slowed down development, but they are licking their wounds. And another, quote, insider of Solo's underperformance globally said... <laughs> it, it doesn't matter those spinoffs... It doesn't mean those spinoffs don't happen. It means they're just trying to figure out how to make and market them differently. Said a theater owner in Estonia. <laughs> Hollywood Reporter says that Boba Fett is still being developed with Simon Kinberg and James Mangold, but the project could be reconfigured based on the logic that if Han Solo, one of the most iconic characters in the Star Wars universe, couldn't sustain a big-budget origin feature, then any Boba Fett movie would have to be scaled down since he's less well-known. Um, they said that Obi-Wan's status was actually less clear, and pointed out that Ewan McGregor is shooting Warner Brothers' adaptation of Stephen King's Doctor Sleep later this year. So if a Obi-Wan project is indeed a thing, and it is as far along as everyone says it was, why isn't he filming it yet? Maybe he's not Obi-Wan. That's an option. Or maybe, in fact, the director did say, you know what, this isn't for me. But all sources seem to confirm that there was, in fact, and maybe still is, pre-production work being done to the development of that film. Right. The article also says, certainly, hopes for a solo sequel have been dashed, and any ideas of exploring the subsection that fans call the Star Wars underworld may also be quashed, even if only temporarily. So again, as Doug said, a certain point of view. Yeah. I would say that The Hollywood Reporter is most likely the, the accurate version of mm -hmm. this, as goofy as their <laughs> anonymous source titles are, because it's somewhere in between. And also, they themselves are quite reputable in this field of bullshit Hollywood rumors. I mean, that's what they were made on you know yeah so so circling back to solo things got really weird you know as the numbers started coming in it had a great opening day set some records and then fell off pretty sharply it got to the point where even star wars social accounts itself were initiating some desperate social network posting on june 8th the star wars facebook posted an image of beckett with the caption trust no one assume everyone will betray you and you will never be disappointed but in the body of their post read 
Don't believe everything you've heard. See it for yourself and decide. Solo a Star Wars story in cinemas now. And that's that's depressing. That's bleak. Yeah, the fact that a official Twitter account has to say that, like, everyone says this movie sucks. Don't believe it. And in, in fact, I, I feel like fewer people were saying the movie sucks, and more people were saying, "I'm willfully ambivalent towards this," yeah. which is fine. You have a you have a right to not care. You shouldn't have to care about these things. Right. What's just a shame is, I personally feel the last Star Wars film sucked and this one was a sheer delight and is everything i want the former one made a bunch of money and the one that i thought was really good and we all could benefit from as a group of nerds um is tanking yeah. so so that's where, that's where i get upset i don't think you get i think it's so many problems working against it you can't point at any one thing it's true like you can't say well the last jedi didn't get whatever it's like but there's a lot of passionate people who love the last jedi and we're excited for han solo you know and then there's a lot of people who really hated the last Jedi and were suffering from Star Wars fatigue to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's like it there's there's no one thing, but man, it's the perfect storm of just all the bad stuff happening all at once. There was a variety article that came out just after the film came out called uh Solo, what a character too secret to even name means for the Star Wars spin-off, which is this whole thing about the history of Darth Maul. It was really well informed mm-hmm. and had some interviews with John Kasdan talking about the inclusion and the filming of the Darth Maul sequence which we'll get into in, in just a moment. But what I thought was interesting in terms of the, the spread of, oh, Solo's not doing so hot, in the original version of the article, it, it said, a whole series of Solo films could be possible with Mob Boss Maul as a central villain. And then, update, well, maybe not with those receipts. Uh. <laughs> so John Kasdan and Ron Howard have both acknowledged this on Twitter. Uh, Kasdan said, look, quote, fell short of expectations isn't what anyone hopes to hear in the bedroom or at the box office. But mostly, I'm just thrilled by the reaction to Solo, and if you want more underworld stories, keep asking Disney and Lucasfilm. Believe it or not, they listen. And here's a little sideline thing. Um, A a Twitter user called uh, CoopX30 said, I love the film, and it made me wonder how much of it was based on the attempted live-action show George was developing. That's a good question. That's the Star Wars Underworld show that was in development for years as a live-action TV series. Nothing goes to waste. Nothing goes to waste. However... John Kazan said, uh, uh, not really at all, because my dad and I never got to read those scripts, but I've always been super curious about the show and thought of it often when we were writing. That's nice. Yeah. I like this guy a lot. (laughs) In the Variety article, while we're on the topic of it, in terms of like the behind the scenes thing of like including Darth Maul in there, that was so weird. When did that happen? How did that happen? Apparently in the script, he was never specifically named. It really literally did just say a character too secret to even name. Right. And uh, Kazdan said, I wanted to build towards the idea that this crime syndicate that they were involved with was much bigger than the Dryden Voss character. This scary guy wasn't even in charge. There was someone much scarier above him. So we were looking at who could be that guy. Maul had gone into this criminal underworld, and this particular period of his life was left vague and gray in the canon. This gave us an opening to say, okay, can we use that character? And if so, does he fit really nicely into a world of scary people? Um, to which I would say, well... Gray, sure, but honestly, uh, not I, not totally undefined either. Yeah, right? I I think I think maybe it wasn't the best move, but it's still cool. And then they said that the mall scene was one of the last things they filmed, which was in January of this year, believe it or not, largely to preserve the mystery for long as possible with minimal crew. I hope that this plot thread is not left dangling. I mean, certainly someday, if it never got picked up in film, it would be swooped up in a comic, a comic or book or something. Yeah. You know, they. I, I but it is weird that he's in solo in the position that he's in but i will say now that he is there i am very interested in how does he go from there 
to when we see him on, on Malachor. Exactly, yeah. Like, how do you how do you rise up to that level, and then it all comes crashing down? And you kind of get that in Son of Dathomir, the comic book, but that takes place before this. Yeah, so. it's, if Maul's life story is him clawing up to, like, trying to get up to this level, and he's always just smacked down and has to start from, like, rock bottom or even lower, yeah. and then he does it again, and he just gets smacked down again. It's over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, think That's... think about what what is what his story really symbolizes. It's, it's cast, literal castration and just tenacity raw rage and tenacity like yeah. constantly like this this beaten dude yeah um it's it's and he never incredible. gave up yeah dude never gave up <laughs> like you <laughs> were cut in half left for dead then you become the head of some crime syndicate somehow that gets upended you start from the bottom again and just work your way back up and you're you almost he almost wins every time and then exhausted the man who originally cut you in half puts you down like a dog yeah but that was, you know, standing ovation, bravo, yeah. a master tragedy, Shakespearean in its scope. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Comic tie-in to Solo, Lando Double or Nothing has two issues out right now. It's a five-issue miniseries written by uh, Rodney Barnes. It's okay. If you want more L three, you get more L three. You get some fun Lando moments. Um, the overall story, I'm in it for the characters. There's, I'm not really being drawn in by what's actually happening on page. That could change. There's three issues left. We also get a, a Beckett one shot in August, written by Gary Duggan. Pretty excited for that. I don't know really, you know. Is that how he kills Aura Singh? Oh, maybe. Fucking doesn't say cool. that, though. The description is this. Who is this career outlaw, and why is Infus Nest, one of the galaxy's most dangerous and brutal marauders, so dead set on taking him down once and for all? Find out in this original tale of a man who's gamed star system after star system, but at a cost that no heist can make up for. In other tangential solo facts and figures, um, we mentioned in the last episode that there was going to be a final episode of the last batch of forces of destiny for this season and it seemed like well there's one more coming out and it's coming out on the same day solo comes out so it's probably going to be solo related and it was it's a story with kira who gets in the crossfires of a deal with ig88 and hondo and that's all good and fun except that once again ig88 a scary droid is painted as purely comic relief and i kind of don't get it maybe they just think he's goofy looking and it's hard to make him as intimidating as, you know... I mean, I can't be that hard because he's a creepy-looking droid without a face. Yeah, he just... He seems totally inept, and I've always thought of him... And maybe this is Tales of the Bounty Hunters talking, but I've always thought of him as, like, one of the scariest motherfuckers out there mm. because you can't... You know, you can't reason with IG-88. IG-88 is... If, if, I, if IG-88 is already doing a thing, you're not going to be able to talk IG-88 down from that. I think it's because he just looks kind of spindly, and he looks like you could cut through him real easy. He looks weak, even though he isn't. Yeah, it's like he might as well be the Lost in Space robot, the way he's painted these days, mm. um, which is a shame. Uh, but hopefully that's just Forces of Destiny. I don't know. L3 said a line in the film that uh, Spill realized tags into one of the next major stepping stones for what we're going to be talking about in the course of Star Wars news here on State of the Empire. Ah, uh, yes. Galaxy's Edge. L3 said, without me, you wouldn't get from here to Black Spire. Black Spire, of course, being Black Spire Station, a.k.a. Black Spire Outpost, the location of the Disney theme park Star Wars space Galaxy's Edge. Uh, State of the Empire listener Mjolnir shared with us that uh, Black Spire was originally called Black Spire Station, and they've totally switched exclusively to Black Spire Outpost now. 
course, this is, you know, it really wasn't really happening in a truly official capacity. So that's that's where it's at now. Black Spire Outpost is the location of Galaxy's Edge. So Star Wars Land is Galaxy's Edge is Black Spire Outpost. It's not complicated. You're complicated. <laughs> well, it's Gal- Galaxy. You know, it is weird that they just call it Galaxy's Edge. Why don't they just call it Star Wars Land? And the place that you're in in canon is Black Spire Outpost. Yeah, that's, that's not difficult. Or like, they've like already... when you go, like when when people go to Universal, they say, "Where's Harry Potter? Where's Harry Potter?" They don't say. They're not asking where is Harry Potter the person. They're asking, "Pretty sir, uh, how, yeah. how does thou get to Diagon Alley?" Yeah, they don't say that either. But when you're in Harry Potter Land, which everybody calls the Harry Potter Land. No matter what yeah. park you're in. Whether it's going to be Star Wars land. Yeah, whether it's Diagon Alley or whether it's Hogsmeade or whatever, they call it Harry Potter land or even Harry Potter world. <laughs> and they have their own in-canon place. This shouldn't be complicated. This is the same thing. Just, <laughs> I want to go to Star Wars land. Uh, do you mean Galaxy's Edge? Yes, take me to Galaxy's Edge. Uh, do you mean Black Spire Outpost? <laughs> like, so I guess if you're asking a Disney employee, they'll say, oh, you mean Galaxy's Edge. But if you're on the brink of Galaxy's Edge and there's like a stormtrooper, it's like, do you mean Black Spire Outpost? Like, <laughs> in character? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Sure. So we actually have quite a lot to say about Galaxy's Edge in this episode. A recent report talked about one of the one of the ride experiences of Galaxy's Edge. It'll put riders in the middle of a battle between the First Order and the Resistance and also as a pilot of the Millennium Falcon in a changing interactive experience. Your actions have consequences and they follow you into the outpost. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I so want it to be true. That's the. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's all I can say. I really, really, truly wish it's everything they're promising. But I don't know how you're going to do it. (laughs) It's going to be crazy if they pull it off. In a past episode, we talked about um, a number of events where trading cards were given out to press about in relation to Galaxy's Edge, and there was like a poem that we read that was partially assembled and like which is part of a map. It was in Arabesh, and the Arabesh had to be translated into English. We have we have it's all been assembled. We'll link on this episode's page to where you can see the image of this full map of Black Spire Outpost, and it has the translated poem, which I will read to you now. At the edge of the galaxy, so far away, black was the spire that called me to stay. A beacon for drifters forgotten and lost, the spire summoned those broken and tossed. Come here to stay forever or just pass on through. The spirit of black spire will forever change you. Yep. Sure. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) What What was most enlightening was the map. The which, map. Which, Where is it? 
<laughs> which showed uh, a number of things that are going to be the huge focal points for Galaxy's Edge. Number one, Black Spire Outpost, which had written, there, it'll have names on it, it has names on it and pictures, and then sometimes there'll be notes written next to it. So in this case, the note was, once a bustling crossroads, the outpost has evolved into an infamous port for traders, adventurers, and smugglers traveling to and from wild space, which is what I would have called Galaxy's Edge instead of Galaxy's Edge. I would have called it Star Wars Wild Space, which is already a book series. So I think that that, like, I mean, like, it's wild space as a, as a concept is, is in many many sci-fi things um but star wars is seemingly claiming dominion over it and yeah i was i would have had my hopes a little too high if they decided to name it galaxy of terror <laughs> like after w- the book series wow that would have been amazing <laughs> no kidding disney uh, present like just take alien encounter uh-huh. but shift it over to the star wars land and uh-huh. redress it uh-huh. great perfect let's do it okay galaxy yeah. of terror get, get that lilo and stitch wrapping off of it make it scary again yeah. <laughs> Ancient ruins, remains of an ancient settlement, perfect hideout for the resistance. Docking Bay 7, food and cargo. Food freighters come and go with tasty fare. Docking Bay 9, stay clear, first order troops spotted. Spaceport, which has the Falcon picture next to it. Here's the most exciting thing on this whole map. I'm shocked. Hondo's base of operations. He's always in need of a crew. What's Hondo doing with the Falcon? I don't know, but that means Hondo Onaka is going to be at the central point, like the the ride that sets the pace for everyone's interactive experience in Galaxy's Edge has Hondo at the epicenter of it. I mean, and I got n- absolutely nothing against Hondo, but why him? <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> what about him is like, you know who we need as the center spoke for this to really sell it and bring it home to the fans? Hondo. Well, I think because Hondo is a easy voice to do and an easy costume to make to fit somebody inside of. If they're going to have sure. a live-action Hondo out in the world, it's easily done. It's, it's, you, know, you can impersonate that voice well enough, I suppose. Um, let's see. We have Cantina, local watering hole. Try the Blurg Fire. Uh, one of the weirdest ones is Saka Homestead. And what's weird about that is that it appears to be the entrance to Galaxy's Edge which is a field with banthas in it. And this seems like there's another map note, but it's maybe unrelated to Saka Homestead. It says, find blue milk at bantha tracks in the marketplace. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm, it's, it's kind of a weird vibe, though, if that is. It's the only thing that looks like an entrance on the map. Was, was blue milk always bantha milk, or is that, like, a fan headcanon thing that's become reality? I have no clue. Um, it. I mean, that easily could have been in the original novelization for Star Wars in 1977. Sure. Or it could have been in Tales of Jabba's Palace. Who the fuck knows? I just want to see if they're going to make full-size Banthas. You know, that's cool and all, but I would like to see something different, like a nerf. See what a nerf finally, you know, officially would look like. Or taste like. Or taste like. Yeah, man. <laughs> Get a nerf burger. Maybe. I mean, I'm... I really hope that they go all out on the cuisine in, in Galaxy's Edge. I want to eat some strange stuff. I know that there's going to be normal stuff there too, but I really hope that for those brave enough, there's some. they take some very unusual earth food and sell it to me as unusual Star Wars food. Yeah, I don't want a pepperoni pizza. You know what I mean? I want to eat the haggis of the Star Wars universe. Yes, because if, if you want a pepperoni pizza, there's literally Pizza Planet. <laughs> you know, like, right. like, you know, just right down the street. Right down the street. 
If you're going into Star Wars and you want a cheeseburger and a, and a pizza and an ice cream. Get the fuck out. Yeah, get out. <laughs> I want that weird shit. I want that. I want the, the Luke Skywalker survival kit where it's got like Tic Tacs in it and pretzel sticks. <laughs> and just Nutri-Grain bars. Here you go. <laughs> rations. Yeah, there goes your space rations. All um, they do is make you hungry. They're full of salt and sugar. It doesn't actually help you at all. It dehydrates you. There's a Black Spire Station. Which has a bunch of droids and land speeders hanging out outside of it. It says, Salju will help you find what you need, which I assume is a plot thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sorabat River Valley, which says, Navigate with caution, treacherous turns. And what it is is some kind of a ship weaving through a canyon of spires. There's also places marked with no description, such as Bakar Spire, which seems to be the highest peak in the mountain range, maybe. Um, and there's black spires denoted on there they're just you know they're sort of a feature of the map in general scattered all throughout the town but disney's scott tobridge the supervisor of the project recently said uh, a little bit of flavor about that world wild widely known for the petrified remains of its once towering ancient trees the spires now stand guard across the river valleys and plains and have long captured the imagination of travelers to this planet to the first settlers, these petrified spires became more than just landmarks. They became the heart of the outpost itself. Hmm. A lot of flavor in this world. It's goofy, but they're really they're really trying. Yeah, Star Wars is always a little goofy. Yeah. There's also Smuggler's Alley, which is near the cantina and looks like maybe a discreet market, like for like extra special wares. And Merchant Row, which is also near the cantina and Smuggler's Alley, as well as Docking Bay 9. So I'm guessing that's the normal place to go. Um which is maybe the marketplace because it says find blue milk at Bantha Tracks in the marketplace, but then we get Merchant Row, not a marketplace per se. Anyway, that's the map. Like I said, we'll link to it on this episode's page. And that is all we know about Galaxy's Edge right now, but it's only a matter of time before we learn more. Star Wars Resistance is, well, it doesn't have a release date yet, but it's the new animated series. It's coming out this fall. We haven't seen much. But San Diego Comic-Con is right around the corner, and there's going to be a 10th anniversary Clone Wars panel for sure that's happening there, which is going to have Dave Filoni and all the usual suspects from Star Wars animation. So it may stand to reason that they maybe there's going to be some kind of legacy Clone Wars thing happening, and maybe, just maybe, that ties into Resistance. Maybe somehow uh, there's going to be a Resistance preview there. Either way, uh, it's going to be, well... There's good, probably going to be something happening at yeah. San Diego Comic Con. A sneak peek of of Star Wars Resistance at a Clone Wars panel sounds very reasonable. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to San Diego Comic Con this year. I have my badge, but um, having just traveled to Hungary and Switzerland, I need I need to be back here mm-hmm. at the studio making plans for the future. Um, not traveling, not getting lost in the awful awful crowds at Comic Con. I'd love to go, but. It's not happening. Is any, but if anyone out there listening is going to Comic-Con um, and you perhaps maybe will end up having some Star Wars experiences that will not be released online but are better spoken of and you want to be on the show, um, well, do drop us a line and uh, let us know that, uh, that you've got some stories to share. We'll get you on here. We'll grill you about what you saw and did. There's a little bit more about um, Star Wars Resistance, and that is that uh, Jim Rash, the actor was on Entertainment Week, Entertainment Tonight and said that he's playing a non-human character on the show 
that he and Bobby Moynihan are the two guys who, quote, run the equipment checkout area, and they have sort of an Oscar and Felix vibe, hmm. which is, I don't know that he was allowed to say that there, but that is the most that we know about this entire show. <laughs> I'm sure we'll know quite a bit soon, though. So there is an entire galaxy of Star Wars podcasts out there, and if you think State of the Empire happens to be one of the most exceptional of all of them, well, we need your help. If we're to garner the listenership that will create the advertising revenue that will allow us to keep doing this thing, it takes a lot of time, and you are our only hope for continuing this quest into the garbage pit of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> rate and review us on iTunes. We'll read it here on the show. There's also Podchaser, which lets you rate and review specific episodes as well as tag them so other people can find them. Both are... Very awesome and very necessary for new folks discovering this show. Share our episodes on whatever social media you're on. We're on Facebook as State of the Empire, a Lucasfilm podcast. We have the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group where the nastiest discussions are happening. <laughs> and, of course, we're on Twitter at WillowWatch underscore. We do some projects that cost money from time to time, and because we don't have a designated revenue stream, our production funds come from our secondary producer, the Nerdy Show Network. So if you like State of the Empire and you want to help fund said projects, then please do support the Nerdy Show Network on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdyshow. You can also head to nerdyshow.com slash support where you can give a one-time donation, which we could gladly funnel into the State of the Empire coffers. And you can shop via the Amazon links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon. Those affiliate links will make sure that everything you buy gives back a percentage to us. In fact... There's a Star Wars podcast out there called Rogue Padron, and they're reading all of the X-Wing books. And one of our listeners, Mjolnir, is reading along with them and used our Amazon affiliate links to buy a substantial chunk of the X-Wing novels, which Sweet. is very, very cool. Thank you, Mjolnir. And uh, that is an awesome quest that you're on. It's been a while since we've had a review on iTunes or Podchaser to read. So if you're hearing this and you haven't done it, please, please do it. We'll read it here on the show and do do follow us because there's some um, there's some neat things we're going to be posting shortly, which leads us to Willow Watch. Sweet. Willow. If you listened to our prior Willow Watch special, the most recent one then there's no new Willow stuff for us to share with you. But if you didn't catch that, Ron Howard did say some more very encouraging things. So you should check it out. Um, but we have continued to dig deep into the Willow well and uncover unusual stuff. I hit up eBay every now and then and discover Willow merchandise that I never knew existed. In the most recent case was a Willow sticker book, which had a very, very badass cover which was actually the um, the paintings that they used for the blister card backs of the Willow figurines. They didn't have action figures. They had figurines. Um, but this is a bigger version of it, with more, a little bit more detail. Um, and I thought, Willow stickers at this quality? Amazing. Cool. Unfortunately, the Willow sticker book is not what I expected. Yeah. It, it comes with it – uh, it was sealed. It was fully sealed. And it came with three packs of stickers, which were randomly sorted. And these stickers are just rectangles of film stills, some of which are isolated and some of which are split in, into two. So you have to collect both halves to make a whole or even four. And it was some sticker trading thing going on, I think, predominantly in the UK. 
So this sticker book is basically a storybook of the entire film with a bunch of frames that you fill these stickers in. But not all of them. Like but the, you like, don't, yeah, it did not come with all the stickers. No. You had to collect and trade them. And even there's actually, like, if you flip open to the back page of it, Doug, there's a, <laughs> like, a thing where it's like, we'll trade stickers with you, mail them in, and we'll give you stickers back. Very weird process. I don't care for it. I like cool stickers, not just film stills. That said, there were a bunch of really neat illustrations all throughout this book. So it was not a bad purchase. There was just, it was not what we expected, mm -hmm. but there's some cool stuff in there. We've already started posting some of it to our socials, and you should follow us there to see more cool, very obscure Willow art. We've also been acquiring Willow coloring books, which have some likewise strange stuff in them. What we're doing with them, we don't really know just yet, but, <laughs> but our goal is to uncover all of Willow's secrets. You know, actually, one thing I can share about the sticker book and the... I read, I read it in its entirety, <laughs> and it's basically recounting the film. There's none of the extra stuff. There's none of the deleted scenes, but they did leave something out, which I was very surprised by. During the Battle of Tears Lean, they chronicle it with a, in some ways, higher level of detail than I would suspect, except that they completely leave out the Ebersick. Really? Every aspect of it is gone. We just didn't have enough pages. He had to cut something out, and they figure, well, if you cut out the Ebersick, it still ends the same way. But so. the, the two-headed showpiece dragon, I mean, for all I know, there's not even any stickers featuring the Ebersick. I'm wondering, like, did they realize that it's just a double-headed cock? Like, is the, did, they, did they get it? Did they figure it out, like, we can't do this? I, I, I read online that it was supposed to look like Clint Howard. Yeah. Like, that was the Clint Howard cameo of Willow. Allegedly. Allegedly. So I don't... It's supposed to look like Clint Howard... It's named after Siskel and Ebert. It's in the coloring book. It is in the coloring book. So it's okay to color it, but you can't peel well, a sticker? The coloring books were made in America, and the other one was in the UK. I don't know. I can't make sense of it. It's very strange. It's a very weird thing to leave out. It's like it's one of the showpiece things of Willow. It's yeah. a fire-breathing dragon, for fuck's sake. And it's a unique yeah. dragon that you hadn't seen anywhere before. And, and I know, I know, I know. Technically, it's not a dragon, depending on what you read. Te I guess technically it's a hydra. Yeah, but because it has multiple heads and no wings, <laughs> but it does breathe fire. Yeah, it breathes fire. It's easy to mistake for an unusual and particularly ugly dragon. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Clint Howard. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Clint Howard. He's your brother, not mine. <laughs> Take it up with him. Anyway, thus ends Willow Watch. Honestly, I think whoever wrote that on IMDb or wherever the hell that got propagated. I think they were just being mean to Clint Howard. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, don't, I don't think that's real. But but he, but he doesn't have a cameo in the movie otherwise. I don't know, man. Were uh, they were they doing that back then? Was that a thing that they were doing? I don't was he know. In, was he in Splash? Was he in Splash? Was he in Cocoon? Was he in Grand Theft Auto? I don't know. I'll have to do some research on that. So we are a Lucasfilm podcast, and there are a great many unusual Lucasfilm things out there some of which we're going to be chronicling in this big gap between the next Star Wars film and now. But we've got a little bit of weird news. Not news per se. We're going to talk about Captain EO right now. I don't know what it is, but we're going to talk about Captain EO. There's a musician and actor and filmmaker named Adam Davenport, who's among the first LGBT black artists to chart on Billboard with his debut single, My Return Address Is You, which is number three on Billboard Dance. And in an interview, he told Shakya.com that he wants to remake Captain EO. I mean, 
this seems all fanciful and so on, but an interesting persona who's very, 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 very new on the scene in terms of his music career, seemingly, as far as I can tell. But, you know, the more people say, oh, yeah, I want to remake Captain EO, the more likely it is something's going to happen someday with the property. Mm -hmm. He said, I first saw Captain EO at Epcot when I was six years old. I was mesmerized by Jackson using song and dance to defeat the Supreme Leader in the ending sequence. We are here to change the world. And the message of that song is one we definitely could use today. And here's where Adam Davenport gets kind of nerdy. He said, Captain EO's feature film reboot should have a rich universe of characters like Game of Thrones, but will be set in outer space with an electronic dance music soundtrack. EDM is the sound of the future, so a sci-fi musical in this vein would be on the pulse of pop culture. There's even a genre called Future House, led by the likes of Oliver Heldens and Don Diablo, so it seems all the more fitting to let this sound influence the soundtrack of a new Captain EO. George Lucas, if you're reading this, call me. I like everything that he just said, except the word remake. <laughs> like, just do another Captain EO in that universe. Like, he was part of the core. Right, yeah. So just have another have another member of the core going out and doing their thing. This way he can be his own person. You could be your own Captain EO. You don't have to be the Captain EO. Be your own Captain. Captain EXO. I like that. Oh, Captain EXO. That's the shit right there. Yeah, X means also the... That also means the future. X means science fiction. Yeah. It's also hugs and kisses. <laughs> yeah. Here to change the world. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really I, I really do love it. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not? If you like Captain EO, but you don't like the idea of Captain XO, get I, I, Come on. You heard it here first. State of the Empire, proponents <laughs> of Captain XO. Doug, you writing the script yet? Oh, man. Uh, Next yeah. episode, you're going to have Captain XO. Give us a treatment. Give us well, an outline. Okay, so the script's really short. It's probably one page long because every a, a couple paragraphs, it's they sing and then they dance. <laughs> <laughs> So that's going to fill it up pretty quickly, you know. I'm thinking of what this is a feature film, so we're going to have at least we're going to have at least uh well, we got to have at least 5 major musical major, set pieces. Yeah, major yeah. music set pieces. At least 5, yeah. Yeah. Cuz I mean, what else has the, there's never been to my knowledge a space movie musical. Like Captain EO is kind of it. Uh hmm like, there's been movie music. You got West Side Story. You know, you got all these. You got Singing in the Rain. All movie musicals. A lot of them based on Broadway musicals. But straight up movie musical that wasn't a Broadway musical. Yeah, plenty, plenty of sci-fis. But I can't think of a single space one. I'm sure there's plenty of cheesy stuff out there. But nothing that's really entered the the, the zeitgeist. And I told you my secret dream, which was that you one day. told me day, a lot of secret dreams. Yes. Yeah, the one secret dream that I had was I would love to be involved in a Space Channel 5 movie. Mm-hmm. This is the closest I'll ever get. <laughs> but this this is just as much not happening as the Space Channel 5 movie. But Captain I, XO. Yeah, uh, Captain XO. I think you could sell people with that. Uh, XO. Did you say XO? Like EO, right? Like but yeah. but XO? But wow. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> and XO is also uh shorthand for commanding officer in a military True. term. True. So it can have multiple meanings. Multiple mm-hmm. meanings, Cap. Mm-hmm. There's layers. I will say, Adam, I uh, I EDM uh, is great, but I don't like if you're working with the spirit of Captain EO. Pop music is what connects more than I'm. I'm really I'm a little bit challenged to understand how EDM is more than the score of this film. Mm-hmm. Like, well, EDM can be the score, but like the center pieces can be like you got to go and rescue. Okay, like the bad guys are coming, so you have to go recruit all these other. There was a falling out with the core. So there's all these different planets. You go to one planet. You got to convince them to join up. And they're like, 
you ain't quite as rocking as you used to be. That's why we left the core. You got to convince us. And then it's like the one planet is ruled by Daft Punk. Then the other planet is ruled by Dead Mouse. And they just go on and on and on and on. And then until finally, you know, I guess the last one's Beyonce. Because fuck it, why not? I got to get you and Adam together. You're yeah. going to create a treatment. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then we make it happen. <laughs> We're going to switch gears over to Star Wars comics. Dr. Afro 22. It hasn't come out yet, but it has a boar gullet on the cover of it. So maybe we're going to get a little bit more explanation for what that big walrusy thing from I, I want one it, is. I want it to be that it actually does nothing. And that Saul Guerrero was just so paranoid. He was he was conspiracy theorist. He was he he went full crazy. <laughs> he went full open. Like like oh you got to put the tin foil on you so that they won't get you with the radiation. And instead he's just like Bogullet will know. And they're like, this is just this dude's pet. I don't know why he thinks that this is like, my dog can sense you. He knows whether you're a vampire or not. You know, like, it's the same shit. I just mean, in the Star Wars he universe. said that it was going to drive Bodhi mad, and Bodhi's just a normal guy. He bounced back real quick. He bounced back real quick. He did. Also, he did. I pointed this out before. He's like, Bogullet will know. And then the Bogullet, he tortured him. And then he's just like, he somehow beat the Bogullet. It's like, no, you, by your own logic, you said no one can beat it. And it would either. Get the truth or kill him. Well, he didn't die. So, therefore, the only thing that's left is the truth, and you still don't believe it. <laughs> Come on, Saw. You're getting old, buddy. Star Wars, the comic book, the titular comic book, is leading into Empire Strikes Back with issue 50. Up to now, it's all taking place after A New Hope. This is coming out this week, July 4th. The Rebel fleet is completed. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's secret. But no secret is kept for long from Darth Vader. They say it's the most epic story yet done in a Star Wars comic, and uh, you're going to witness the Empire truly strike back in this issue, Hope Dies. Mm. And what's crazy about this announcement is that if you go back to prior episodes of Save the Empire, I've been talking up Kieran Gillen's run on Star Wars. I've been saying you've you got to check out the most recent volumes. you got to check out Ashes of Jeddah, the follow-up to Rogue One, and everything that comes after that. And that has actually all been building to this crazy bridge between the two eras of Star Wars within the original trilogy. And I am so excited. Gillen said, I spent the first 12 issues building up to this. It's an event-level tragedy on an epic scale, and it's designed as the key bridging piece between the films. So, I mean, you want to see the Rebels really feeling the burn. I mean, they're in a good place right now. They've secured, you know, the Mon Cala fleet and so on, and they've pulled off some really incredible stuff. They've been fighting back against the Empire. They think they have an advantage, and the rug is about to get pulled out from them. There was, a, yeah. there was a very shocking reveal leading into this issue, which I didn't see coming, and it was it was delightful. Poe Dameron is ending soon in issue 31, but in the meantime, some crazy stuff's gone on. We, we talked last, well, last time we talked Star Wars comics, we talked about how there were um, some stuff about the nature of the Force in the new trilogy era that was revealed in there that really helps bind the concepts of the films together. And from there, which ended just before Force Awakens, the series jumped to moments after the end of The Last Jedi, which surprised all of us. And it was it's Poe speaking with Rey and Finn in the Falcon, fleeing Crate and filling in the blanks for all the characters as to what the hell happened. But where things got really interesting was issue 28, which opens with these two different color boxes speaking to each other about the battle of Starkiller Base. And um, and I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm like, this is a, it's an interesting perspective. It's a perspective from the, from the fighter's side and talking about 
Um, oh, uh, wow, that, that, that maneuver with the Falcon was crazy. Who was responsible for that? Han Solo? I bet it was Han Solo. Yeah, it was Han Solo. He's, that guy's a maniac. Yeah, but one of the best maniacs. And the, the, clearly one of the voices had like a kind of, kind of a firsthand experience in regards to um, the original Death Star run. And I was like, who the fuck is talking? Who is leading this narrative? Yum, yum. No, no, no. Let me, let me read some of this. They're talking about Black Squadron getting fried. 12 went to Starkiller. 7 came back. Eloazzi and XALX, Red 6, got fried. Ah, Red 6, tough call sign. We lost to Red 6 at the first Death Star battle, too. Jack Porkins and R5-D8. And then they go on to list the other people from Black Squadron who died, characters who'd been in the background of this comic book the whole time. And then the other voice says, Thank you for telling me all this. I know it can be hard to talk about, but war stories are important. These things can't just pass into the night. I sometimes think it's my destiny to see things, to be present, to witness the galaxy moving, evolving. It happens to me over and over again, but even so, I can't see everything. And so, I like hearing the stories, recording them. Stories are, and then, R2-D2 and BB-8 get interrupted by 3PO. Okay. This, I was so jarring and shocking. I was listening to BB-8 tell R2-D2 about the Battle of Starkiller Base. Oh, shit. I didn't even realize that. Even when you explained it, I didn't even realize that's what you were saying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This, this is crazy. It's, I mean, this is the first time that... I mean, I'm sure it's happened before, but this is the first time that I have ever heard R2-D2 speak in the amount of, like, gravity and reflection in everything he says throughout this discourse is amazing. And BB-8, BB-8 is just a joy. <laughs> there's th there's moments like, so this is totally dependent on a tiny ground squad that was supposed to infiltrate the enemy base and deactivate their shield, which they could only pull off if the intel we'd gotten from a first order turncoat turned out to be legit. I mean, we all like Finn now, but back then he was just the guy who stole Poe's jacket. <laughs> and other real winners such as, with the oscillator blown, Poe had a way in, and he took it, called for Red 4 and Red 6 to cover him, and down he went. No hesitation. You want to talk about heroes? There's a hero. Poe Dameron. Man, oh, man. <laughs> BB-8 loves him. They are such good pals. As they should be. Yeah. And, man, when C-3PO butts in and he's like, Would you two please stop blathering? Or at least do it on a closed circuit so we don't have to hear you? Such a depressing subject, too. Seven came back. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> And then it goes on other things. And then we see that, uh, oh, Rose is sleeping. She's not dead. And we get the story of the moments after the end of The Last Jedi and the siege of Dakar and Poe having the discussions with Leia to convince her to let him do the distraction maneuver and to strap this crazy rocket onto the back of the X-Wing and all the other stuff that just kind of happened. You, you get those moments and weird little slivers of other explanations and so on as well and yeah it's just it's just smoothing it over it is just no prizing and retconning two things that shouldn't have been written the way they were but it's an it's well done charles soul knows his work and most importantly it sets up the final storyline it's going to be issues 29 30 and 31 which is the story of what the rest of black squadron was doing during the last jedi where the heck was snap wexley so what what went down was they were all like, no, Poe, you're not going to do it. You're not going to blast that. that You're not going to go one one X-Wing versus all these Star Destroyers. You're out of your mind. We're, we're Black Squadron. We fly together. Fuck you. And then Leia's like, actually, no. Um, 
the destruction of Hazian Prime was just an opening move for the First Order. You need to reach out to our allies to gather help before Snoke consolidates his power across the galaxy. This mission is crucial. It's possible that no one else in the space will, will survive the day, but if you four succeed, the Resistance will live. So they don't hear back anything, obviously. And then at the end of this issue, following the events of The Last Jedi, C-3PO says to Poe um, that they have a transmission from Black Squadron, and uh, he's excited, and 3PO is like, well, uh, let me temper your excitement. Um, you might not exactly want to call this good news. And then we find out what happens mm. in the next issue. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a great book. Poe Dameron is a great book. We have a little bit of Star Wars video game news that spirals out of Charles Soule's work, specifically with Darth Vader, which is at E3, we got some information about the new game from Respawn which is called Jedi Fallen Order. You know, they scrapped the Star Wars Underworld game. Reportedly, there were a lot of concerns about, like, anything that doesn't have a lightsaber in it. So no surprise, you'll be playing a Jedi. And in the extraordinarily awkward announcement that happened, um, I don't recommend watching it. It's just painful to watch. They made a point of saying that you'll be playing a Jedi and you'll get to, and you'll get to use a lightsaber as though at this juncture that means something. <laughs> I mean... Oh boy, a Star Wars game where I get to be a Jedi and use a lightsaber? Holy cow, let me go down the list of the incredible games where I can do that already. It's more remarkable to have a game about the Star Wars underworld, but hey, what do I know? Solo didn't make any money. But this game takes place during, quote, the dark times when the Jedi are being hunted. So post-Order 66 and reportedly is going to be heavily influenced or working in tandem with the stories that are being told in the Darth Vader comics right now as Vader is training the inquisitors and hunting down jedi comes out holiday season 2019 and one final piece of not star wars but lucasfilm news we've actually got some indiana jones news it's time for indie inquiry crack that whip formerly everything we knew about the movie was that steven spielberg was going to direct harrison ford was going to be in it david cope the author of the Crystal Skull script was going to be writing the script and it was coming out July 20th, 2020, pushed back from a 2019 release date. However, according to Collider, Solo's John Kazdan is now taking a pass at the script. What? What? I'm very excited. I was, you know, he was unproven. I didn't know him. He was just uh, a kid with a famous dad as far as I was concerned. <laughs> and he, everything about Everything that he said about Solo and the film itself has impressed on me that I like the cut of his jib. So I'm excited. I yeah. would love John Kazdan to write some Indiana Jones. Yeah. Collider called it a replacement, but then also made a point of saying, we aren't sure if he's rewriting Cope's existing script or merely doing a two-week polish or if he's starting completely from scratch. They also said, we don't know if Kazdan is writing the script with a partner like his dad. We don't know when Cope left the project or when Kazdan was hired. It could be before Solo opened below expectations, so it's possible that he'd been working on Indy 5 for some time now. So, in other words, anyone who's ever touched the movie Solo is now tainted. Right, yes, the taint. It's the every it's everyone's fault. Solo's taint. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, though, I'd be surprised if this was a quick two-week polish that you'd bring on mm -hmm. John Kazdan because they're delaying the movie and they're getting him for two well, that don't make sense. Doug, you've cracked your whip too soon because <laughs> we haven't even mentioned that yet. Variety reported that filming was supposed to begin April 2019 in the United Kingdom, but sources close to production say that shooting will be pushed back by months, if not a year. 
So that 2020 date is no more. It, not officially yet. No one said anything officially. But um, this appears to be the real deal, and potential crew members have already been informed of the delay. Yeah. Spielberg has other projects that are probably going to happen before this one happens. Fine, as long as the script's good. That's it, what, two-week polish? Don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. John Kasdan remained relatively mum until recently when uh, he made a tweet that said, and I don't know what the context was, sarcasm doesn't always land during wartime. And then someone whose name is War Must Be End 123 on Twitter said, John, is it true you're rewriting the script for Indiana Jones 5? To which Kazdan replied, It's funny. I asked the folks at Lucasfilm how I should respond to that very question. They just said, Tell them that we have top men working on it right now. And I said, Okay, but I think what they're asking is, Who? And all they said was, Top men. <laughs> so I think John Kazdan is in fact writing Indy 5. Yeah, of course. And yeah, that kind of response. I'm going to hazard a guess that it's from scratch. Mm -hmm. But probably with some odds and sods from what Cope was working on. And um, maybe some other stuff. I hear, Doug, uh, that um, maybe just maybe in the next episode of State of the Empire, you're going to bring some Indiana Jones stuff to the table for oh, us. Oh, yeah. Like I've talked before about uh, the early drafts of the Star Wars trilogy. I've found and read early drafts for what would eventually become Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And it is worlds different. And then I read early drafts of the Last Crusade that are closer, but not quite. And then I've read... Three completely different takes on what would become the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Boy, there's <laughs> there is a bunch to dissect. I it's hard to pick where to begin, but I think we'll have to go chronologically. Have to have it make the most sense. So probably the next episode of State of the Empire. You can look forward to that. We assumed that there was going to be an opportunity to have an increased amount of Indiana Jones news in the months to come. But if it's getting pushed back, well, who knows? We'll we'll just be filling time with all the cool Lucasfilm stuff that we can. Scrounge up. So thanks so much for listening. Remember, rate and review this program on iTunes or Podchaser. Like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where you can find us at State of the Empire or at Willow Watch underscore. I'm at Cap Blackard. I'm at Doug V. Banks. Our gone but not forgotten Matt Spill is at Matthew Spill. He'll be back and we'll be back in just a couple weeks. We'll see you next time on State of the Empire. State of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Our theme song, Maximum Rebo, was written and performed by Zantilla. Find more awesome tracks at zantilla.bandcamp.com. Special thanks to our Bothan pals in the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and career woman Yarna Daal Gargan, the six-breasted dancer in Jabba's Palace. She's actually quite skinny, but her desert species is built to hold a lot of liquid. Jabba forced her to bulk up on water and wear makeup so she'd look like his mother. What a piece of work! Once freed, Yarna performed the dance of 70 violet veils at the wedding of Han and Leia, got famous modeling jeweled bras, and her kids, Luke, Leia, and Nautag formed a jizz swing band. I'm not making any of this up. What? <laughs> like, oh, desert species, what, uh, oh, weird, okay. Dressed, dressed, Jabba dressed up to look like Jabba's mother. <laughs> it just got weirder from there. <laughs>
Consequence Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm